0: Okay, I'd like to talk about the Midian, about the Midianites. Now, when, when the when the Torah and Chazal talk about a nation, they usually talk about the nation as though every single person in that nation represents exactly the same ideology. Uh, okay, I think this is okay when you learning. When we're learning, it's not so okay when people say, "I think." Everything I say is what I think. <laughs> I have to say I think, right? Like you say, people say the Palestinians. What they mean is every single one is exactly the same as every other one. And this is an assumption that is not so good. Right? It's, in my opinion, again, it's an assumption that uh, that's, that's paralytic. If every single, like if they... If all the chickens are the same, so then they're all the same. There's nothing you can do about it. So Midian, the question, what does Midian represent? This nation called Midian. And we'll see that the Torah takes a very strong stand against the Midianites. Right against the Midianites. So now, if you look at the the first thing on the sheet, you see that uh, a strange story. In the Torah, Abraham, We know that Abu Avinu's wife was Sarah, who was originally named Sarai, and that she had a Pilegish, whatever that might mean. There's some kind of association between Sarai, Sarah, and Hagar. And uh, they play off one against the other and each of these two women had a child with with Avram Avinu which created uh, an ongoing never ending tension right? Yitzchak Yismael. but here the Torah tells us that Avram Avinu took another wife and that her name was Keturah and it's true that Chazal say that Keturah was Hagar but it's also true that um, we don't know why. Uh, if she was Hagar, why does the Torah want us to, to fool us into thinking that she's not Hagar? So, Hagar, Keturah, she had several sons. Vatele, Zimran, So she had a son whose name was Midian. And of course, Midyan is the father of Midyan. Midyan meaning the, the nation of Midyan. The last Pasuk here is Now, these are all names. I've never heard any Jewish child being given any of these names, in spite of the fact that they're all children of Avram Avinu. So uh, I mean, one of the great lessons of Avraham Avinu is that a family has a father and a mother. So one of the one of the interesting things that Avraham Avinu, Avram Avinu had, uh, uh, could not have children that were um, could not have children that were not children of his wife had to be his wife, and that's why this miracle had to take place with Sarah, who at, the, at some advanced age had a child, and in fact, the Torah tells us that people laughed at Sarah because she thought to tell everybody was her child but nobody believed her. But obviously what the Torah is saying is that, he, that in this world where, where, I guess, you know, Having a wife was not was not particularly important. Just having a child was important. In that world, abraham Avinu, besides whatever else he did, right, abraham created a new um, uh, a new kind of unit called a family, and a family is where the father and the mother have a, a significant in the in the education of their children. This was true also, of course, for Richter and Yitzchak and Yaakov and his wives, right? The wives played roles in the education of their children. So the first thing that we know about, about uh, Midian is that he was actually a son of Avramavim. And therefore, it's, we don't really understand, however, why the Torah has to tell us this. This is kind of, you know, there are all kinds of information that you might have been able to learn about Avram Avinu, but the Torah doesn't include it because the Torah includes things that are important for us to know. It's important for us to know that God commanded Avram Avinu to go. And Echo says, "Go." That 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 the beginning of the story of Avram Avinu is is a mitzvah it's a command a commandment we know that but what, what importance could there be possibly about knowing that Avram Vito had another wife and that he had children with his other wife and furthermore that one of the children that he had with his other wife was um, was uh, uh, Midyana I mean what, why do we have to know that uh there's another pasuk in Divrei Yamim, which teaches us the same thing, which is on the sheet Abraham, Here she's called Keturah. is called Pilegish Abraham. So even though I don't know exactly what a Pilegish is, but it's a, it's a relationship. It's formalized. There's a, there's a a wife and there's a Pilegish. But a pilegish doesn't mean she's not his wife. Pilegish means she has a certain status. It's a certain legal relationship. So here, uh, what the Rehavim adds is that Keturath was, was really his wife. He was his pilegish, but that's another form of having a wife. So again, we meet up with, uh, with Midyan. We meet up with Midyanh, The son of Avram Avinu, and we don't really understand why uh, Avram Avinu had to have this son, why the Torah had to tell us that he had this son. I mean, what possible connection is there to our understanding? I mean, if you read the Rambam summary of the life of Avram Avinu in El Chota Vodazara, the beginning, he doesn't mention the fact that he had a wife whose name was Keturah. It's of no importance. In the life of Avram Avinu, it's like saying that Avram Avinu went to the market to buy a sack of milk. I mean, maybe he did, but why would we? Why should the Torah tell us that? This is not like a historical novel. Everything in the Torah is of, of singular importance. We would imagine, and to say that Avram Avinu had a son whose name was I don't know why, his name was Keturah, the son whose name was Bigyan, well, doesn't seem to me to be that. Powerful uh, statements. Now, in and Zion, Pesuk listen to this story. You remember it So, the sale of Yosef was connected to the Midyanim Midyanim Socharim right remember the Midyanim went by they bought Yosef they pulled him out of the uh, out of the uh, door, and they sold him to Mitzrayim. now if I have to uh, evaluate this in, in the following categories positive, negative like what is the story about the Midyanim does it shed positive light on the Midyanim or negative light on the Midyanim I would say I mean I could wait for an answer but it doesn't matter I would say that it sheds a positive light on the Midyanim because if if in fact God's intention was that Yosef should get to be tried and that the Sam of Yosef actually saved his life and sent him on the way that God wanted him to go God wanted to go to the so he could become eventually the second in command and save the world from famine and then get all the Jews to come to the but this is all part of the plan so when Yaakov Avinu sent Yosef to look for his brothers Yosef was on his way to the and he was like, like a couple of things happened that slowed him down like the brothers first they wanted to kill him then they throw him into a pit I mean, that slowed him down a little bit so that the Midyanim the Midyanim were part of the salvation of Yosef he saved his life they also ensured that he would get to where he was going so that was that's the Pasuk that's what the Pasuk says now, if you look at Rashi Rashi says we have first it said then it said he says this is another another group of of sales and the pastor tells us that he was sold from one group to another group everybody tried to make a few dollars so they sell Yosef to another group who then eventually gets him to to Mitzrayim then it says, uh, they brought him out of the pit. First they sent him to sold him to the Yishmailim. A So this is all part of the plan. This is how it has to be. The Yosef has to get to Mitzrayim Yosef has to do what he was supposed to do in tribe but this is what's indicated in the Pasuk. So it turns out that the Midyanim were part of the divinely ordained course of history. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to be. So, so good, so we see, so far I think we've, uh, we've heard good things about the, uh, about the Midyanim. Now we're going to hear something really good about the Midyanim. Shmoot Parikbeth, Pasuk Tetzai. The Kohen Midyan Sheva Badok. Remember this story? There was a Kohen. And he lived in Midyan. And he had seven daughters, Vatavona, Vatidlana, Vatamal Emma, Etharasim, Lashkot And they came and they filled up this truck with water and they would give the water to the to the sheep. Lashkot Sonabihad. And then, you know, nothing has changed in the last uh, the last uh, 3,000 years, right? 3,300 years Nothing has changed, there's nothing that men like less than successful women So here's these uh, uh, these daughters of Yitro They're, they're doing the job by like the and they come the males, and they chased them away by Yaakov, and was an equal rights and them away by Moshe was an equal rights by equal opportunity uh, person and he chased them all away by Yashkit and he himself poured the water for their and for their the Rashi, you know how come he came home so early great that's what uh, that's what uh, uh, Yitro says there was this Egyptian fellow who saved us from the oppressive uh, shepherds and he also poured the water into the trough of the sheep and so and he, and he and he gave the sheep uh, water to drink. Where is he? He's a smart guy, he understands that he's got a potential here. Sipora Moshe, and he gave uh, he gave Moshe a wife whose name was Sipora So of course the question, what is all of this? Right. Well, what do we have to know about this? I mean, what is the point? What is the point that Moshe later found himself in a bad place, and he helped out uh, other people, you know, non-Jewish people, that he married him non-Jewish girl or a non-Jewish father I mean so you know what Rav Nachman of Bratel have said well, I'll repeat it anyway <laughs> Nachman said "That uh, was said you know you know that, that uh, he doesn't say the Rabbah, Rav Nachman didn't like the Rabbam. but had he quoted the Rav he would quote the Rav and the Rav at the end of the said when the Mashiach comes when the Mashiach comes, everybody will understand that the Torah is the Torah it doesn't say that everybody is going to, to convert to Judaism no, that, that's only for the people who really want to accept their responsibilities, but even if you don't convert to Judaism, you can understand that the Torah is a, is a significant uh, document, which has significant demands on people and it should be really, you know, highly regarded and respected so, Abdullah says, or Nachman, Nachman understands it this way that somehow all the nations of the world, in their potential, there's some kind of potential that's ingrained in all the people of the world to see the light of the Torah. That even though they weren't there at Har Sinai, even though they weren't there at Har Sinai, they didn't accept the Torah, but there's something that's intrinsic to all these nations that will enable them to see the light they'll see the light the Mashiach will come and that things will be good and people will be as they are and, and all of these people and all of these people will understand that the Torah is the Torah which as I said doesn't mean that they're going to convert but they'll understand that there is, not, there is something that we would call the light of the Torah the, the profundity of the Torah everybody understands that. So, So Nachman says uh, that was said, but the Chozeh, they would have needed somebody to represent them at Har Sinai in order for that to be in the future. And the person who represented them at Har Sinai, the person who represented them at Har Sinai was Yitro. And you know, there's a machloket in the Gemara about whether Yitro came before Mount Torah or after Mount Torah. Let's ignore that machloket for a minute. But let's just say. It seems like, like Yitro came before Matan Torah because that's the way it's written in the Torah itself. In the passage Yitro first Yitro comes and then there's then there's Matan Torah. Okay, so that seems to be the more obvious So according to Rav Yitro, what was he doing there? What was Yitro doing there? He was he was representing the world at Matan Torah. And, and, and he was the one who was going to make sure he was the one who was going to make sure that, that when the time came everybody would recognize uh, the Torah as, as being something of great importance and, uh, and significance so when Nitro said to his daughters uh, uh, where is this guy we've been waiting for him this is, this is the person who's going to teach us why we should go to Sinai? why we should go to Sinai? and so you see that of all the nations of the world and all the people in all the nations of the world the one who was chosen the one who was chosen to be uh, uh, the representative of the nations of the world according to Rabdakim the one who was chosen to be one of the nations of the world was Yitra and Yitra understood that that was him because that's what he said where is this guy bring him in let's marry him off you know, you can, you can. Uh, he'll, he'll be our teacher. We, we know that he's a special person. I mean, Yitro mean, wasn't looking for a in law who was a dummy and didn't know all he knew about sheep, all he knew about sheep, sheep herding. Right? He wasn't looking for that. He was looking for Moshe Rabbeinu. He knew what he was looking for, and therefore just as the Jews who came to Arsidai had been prepared right from Avro, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yosef they knew that they were going to get the Torah they knew about the Torah they knew something about it even though they had difficulty with the idea nevertheless they were it was previous training it wasn't just Yitzhak, Yitzhak, tribe. hello, here's the Torah so Yitro also needed the training he needed to understand what God wanted of people and what God wanted of the world that was created and what was considered good and what was considered bad, and all of that, all of that is in the uh, uh, is in these sukim, I think. So now we come to a di- another pasuk. The pasuk says, says this is i uh, I'll give you the translation God said to Moshe Abenu, take avenge the avenge the Israel has, has to take vengeance upon the Midyadim for what they did what did they do we know that the daughters of Midyan, the daughters of Midyad uh, uh, seduced the men of Yisrael hoping that through that seduction they would bring, they would bring them to idolatry and as Bilam told them that God was very uh, didn't like idolatry and didn't like Giluya Rayot. you know that there are these three, three transgressions that are um, can't be compromised right the three uh mean killing and uh, Avodah and Givi Arayot, all of which are Avodah Dhazara, right? mean because you exhibit a lack of respect for someone else's life, and this is a problem. This is a problem when you uh, you accept upon yourself that you're gonna do things that that are difficult to justify. Abu uh, Avodazara is uh, not having respect for the idea of one God and Gimuri uh, is, Arayot is again not having respect for the world as God wants it to be so, so this Pasuk said that the Midyanim are responsible even though up to now everything we've learned about the Midyanim it seems to me to have be, uh, been positive but the pasuk says this pasuk says that the midjanim are responsible and therefore you have to do them in now uh, I swear that I, somehow the sheet lost out on a rashi there's one rashi but on this pasuk which is not on the sheet but I'll read it to you I'll read it to you slowly me'etam midjanim moabim after all we all know it was a joint effort moab Balak Balak was the king of Moab and at the end it was a joint the the Midyanim the Midyanim uh, joined together with the Moabim I mean it seems like it was led by Moab at least at first it was led by Moab and the Midyanim joined up so Rashi says Romi Eidah Moabim God said avenge the Midyanim but let the let the Moabim alone Shad Moabim Nechmissu Lidavam Raji says the Moabim did it, they went bullock, sent messages to Bilal to say curse the people because they were afraid that their country would be overrun by the, by the Israelites and it would be terrible, right it would be really uh, really unacceptable he says uh, uh, And they were afraid of them They would do away with them Right? And as far as the Moabim is concerned uh, The Torah says just don't make war on them they didn't have to fight against the Am Yisrael. So that's Riv Lola, The, the Midyanim, they decide, hey, you know, there's a fight, let's join in. And there are people like that, I think. I don't know any. But there are people like that. Good hey, faith, it's a good fight, let's go and fight the good fight. So that's the first interpretation in Rashid. The first interpretation is Raji that there is a specific difference between Moab and Midian. Moab, they were afraid of what would happen to them, and so they were forgiven, more or less. They were forgiven by God, and you don't have to. You don't have to uh, uh, demand payment from Moab, but Midian they just didn't have to be part of the fight they just liked the idea they weren't in danger they didn't feel that B'nai Yisrael was going to overrun their land and yet they went into the fight anyway Rashi has a second commentary you know whenever Rashi has two commentaries you have to think like why did Rashi do it why did Rashi have two commentaries so generally people say people say it's the, there's a parish on Rashi Called Maskele David. Maskele David, a well-known commentary on Rashi, was written by Rav David Bardu. Rav David Bardu was an Italian uh, commentator, a very, um, uh, a very interesting and, and original kind of thinker. He wrote a Pey of the Mishnah, he wrote a Pey of the Tosefta, and he wrote a Pey on Rashi. And the Pey of Rashi is called is called Maskil that's what it's called so usually so he says Rashi says parish number one but he's not so happy with it so he says parish number two so why does he just say parish number two But he's not happy with parish number two it's like sort of uh, Rashi is doing is doing his best right? he's trying but I, I think of it in a different way which I'll explain to you right uh, uh, in a moment what did he say Mithne? The stay both. So this is the Gemara The Gemara says that <coughs> Moab, after all, Ruth was the daughter of the tribe a daughter of the tribe of Moab, and her great-great-great-grandson was David Amalaf. So, if, they, if God would have declared war on, or told the Jews to declare war on Moab, we would have lost. That's like not such a good idea. As far as the Ammonit, the same thing is true of the Ammonit, so we know that Na'ama, the Ammonit, there, there are several Na'ama. Chotzubal Na'ama. This nama is a different nama. It's a naama am, Ammonit, who was the mother of Rechav'am. Rechav'am... Rechav'am was the... Everybody learns the right? It's just remembering that, it, that it's difficult. Rechav'am was the son of Shlomo Amelech. Shlomo Amelech, as you know, had a lot of wives. And many of them for political reasons so he married women from all the nations of the world so he had a wife whose name was Naamah and she was an Ammonite Amon, she came from the tribe of the, the nation of Amon Naamah Ammonite. and she was the mother of Rechavam, and Rechavam became the king of Yehuda. Because after Shlomo Melch died, after Shlomo Melch died, the nation divided into two: the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You see, I do my heads north, south. I'll try to make it very clear. So, in the south, the south was called Yehuda, even though it was made up of three tribes. The south, eh, one was very big, Yehuda, and two were very small. Right in the north of Yehuda was the tribe of Binyamin, and Binyamin and Yehuda shared a border that went through the Beit HaMikdash. I won't say anymore, but it's important to remember. And the other tribe, other small tribe, which was at the south of Yehuda, which is at the south of Eretz Israel, was Shimon. So those are the tribes that make up the south, the north. The north which split away after the death of Shlomo Hamelach. The north was uh, Ephraim, and Asher, Issachar, and, and, and Right, all of those tribes were in the north, and the kingdom of Israel split into two. So the king of the northern kingdom, as you recall, was Uriah Ben Nevat, and the king of the southern kingdom, as you should recall was Rechav'am. And Rechav'am, Rechav'am, son of, I, I, it doesn't seem to me, I haven't got time for this now, but it doesn't seem to me that Rechav'am was such a great guy. And the people came to, uh, after Shlomo Melach died, the people came to Rechav'am and they said, uh, look, uh, we can't do it. We can't pay so much taxes. such taxes. We're not going to be able to live. Your father built the Beit HaMikdash and we had to pay for it but now we can't do it anymore so Rechavam in a a politically motivated statement said oh you think my father charged you taxes wait for me I'm going to really take taxes I don't know if he was such a great uh, a great leader but the Gemara says the Gemara says Shtey Kredot there were two great great grandchildren that came out of Amon and Moab. Moab was Ruta Moabiah, whose great great grandson was David Amala. And Amon it was it was Amonit whose great whose son actually was was Am, who became the king in, in Israel. So this Tabarakher this, khair, if the varacher of why uh, Moab was spared, and that's what the, the, the topic in Rashi was. After Moab was spared, and Midian was punished, because Moab, the varacher, because Moab, khair, because Moab uh, you're going to get David HaMelech You're going to say, well, who can understand such a thing? Why couldn't David HaMelech be born from somebody else, or some other person, or some other genetic fool at some other time? But that's what the Gemara says, that's what the Gemara says, and it seems to imply that according to Rashi, according to Rashi we don't really understand, we don't really understand why Midyan was punished and Moab was not punished. We don't really understand. So the two explanations in Rashi, the first explanation of Rashi is that, that Midyan deserved to be punished, and Moab didn't deserve to be punished and the second interpretation is that even if you would say that Midyan also deserved to be punished there was a reason not to punish them there was a reason to keep them to keep them uh, alive, so to speak to keep them alive that's what, that's what, uh, that's what it says so you have in this pasuk you have an indication that something happened to Midyan something terrible happened to Midyan as a result of which, today Israel were, 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 were told to fight against Midian. After all, uh, at the time of Pinsas, when Pinsas killed, killed Cosby so he killed him. And the rest of them were killed by, by the judges, by the people who were sent by Moshe Rabbeinu to judge the transgressors and to, and to kill them. So, what is this terrible punishment that came upon Midian? But not upon Moab. That's a little hard for us to understand. Okay, so now we look at this Gemara. You see the Gemara. The Gemara, the Gemara says this. You look at the third the third line. So that's what the pasuk said. How many people went to fight against It Says Otam. Right. so what does the So, the pasuk? mean Ota, Ota. Who's Ota? Elu Sanhedri. That Moshe Rabbeinu said. Said the the wisest people are this. The are this. Are this war because the wisest people will make sure that the war is carried out in the halachically appropriate manner. They're not going to kill people who shouldn't be killed. Pinchas Zemeshuach Milchama right Pinchas there was a kohen Gadol that was appointed at the time of the, of the war so these are all the things that went out uh, out of the war against Midian then the Gemara goes on and it says Hanna so what do you think you know Pinchas he did his already he did what, what he was supposed to do he killed Kozbi uh, Zimri <laughs> uh, he killed them both so, so he should have been uh, retired so, no no he had to go to war why el din avi imo to, Lipara to pay off the judgment against his mother's father, Shinemar, Ramidanim Mafruoto El Mitzrayim. Title Name, what does this mean? The Pinchas me Yosef Ate. That's what the Gabura says Pinchas was actually a son of Yosef. The <speaking in Hebrew> Hakti There's a Possum that says El Azab bin Arodla Kaflo mi benotkuti eloli isha that Elazar married one of the daughters of Putiel My love Da'ateh mi Yitro So who's Putiel? What kind of name is that? So the Gemara says He says My love Da'ateh mi Yitro She'piteh matalim Lavodat Kochavim Who's Putiel? He's the guy who fattened the uh, the, the calves for our Godazara Who is that? That was Yitro. Shepita magam the kovavim. Lo, the says, "Me Yosef shepita peit." She shepita me Yitro. Yosef discussed his shepita <speaking in Hebrew> He talked a lot about his yecher, about the things he was interested in. I remember, he combed his hair a little too much. Balor shvatim mevatim O'To and the nations would, uh, would would speak ill of of uh, Pinchas and they'd say read the man Putis there. You'd see this son of Puti. Ben So this is a very important point here in the Gemara because even though it's still in the parish of Pinchas and we're in the parish of Matos, which we'll get to in a minute, you have to understand that Moshe, Pichas came to Moshe Rabbeinu according to Chazal, which is reported in Rashi. So that Pichas came to Moshe Rabbeinu and he said, And he said, Come on, Moshe, let's do it. But This is the halakha. What are you letting them get away with this? What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? He says, Oh, you know the halakha? You go do it. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. So I said, Why? Why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu do it himself? Because Moshe Rabbeinu already, we, we spoke about this, Moshe Rabbeinu already said, told today Israel that it was going to be a judgment. It's going to be baked in. The show are going to be in charge. So he couldn't renege on what he said himself. But Allah came to him and said, Okay, I'll do it. I know the halacha. But apparently, people, the people of Israel at that time didn't know the Homo. They didn't know it. So they said, oh, look at this guy. You know, he's killing one of the Nisi'im of, of uh, the tribe of Shemot. So he says, well, what do you mean he's killing? He, he did a terrible thing. No, yeah, he did a terrible thing. But you should take him to court. You should judge him like we judge everybody else. You have to bring witnesses and uh, you have to show there was Hatra'ah. That's cool. So that's what they said. They said, "Oh, here's here's uh, He's creating a new kind of setup for us." They didn't know the halakha which is that while he's doing it, you can you can kill him. So the Gemara says, and Did you see this? Puti, he says it must be because he's got this genetic fault he's the son of the he's the son of the the wife the daughter of the wife of Puti, who was an idolater whose Puti? is Yitro what are you talking about You you know we've had that experience in our own time you have to bring him to trial you have to have witnesses You have to be able to have proof You can't just You can't just throw them away He says He says it could be uh, That the, the, uh, the father of his mother Is from the from Yosef And the father And the mother of the mother Is from Yitro. So God says Both could be correct it could be that Pichloss is the child of Yosef somehow, and also he's the child of, uh, of Yitro. Ime diin mi Yosef abu neime mi Yitro, daikanami duchnibi v'not putiel, shre, Note it says, v'not, not singular but plural, tre Mashmash mamina, that, that, that there were two daughters involved Two women involved In the creation of Pilchas. One was from the line of Yosef And one was from the line of what was from the line of uh, Of Yidro So I of says, the Guru says That that there was some kind of an issue there There was an issue that had to do with 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 uh, Seder had to you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You see, Cosby and Sibri I mean, what is the proper thing to do? So B'nai Israel said The proper thing to do Is to bring them to trial And the Lord came Pinchas And he killed them And so he said, oh Pinchas You know, he's, he couldn't get that idolatry out of him He couldn't get that idolatry out of him He's from Puti And Puti is from Yosef or, And or from, from Yitro As far as we know Yosef and Yitro were heroes so what is this this uh, connection that we see? Now, so let's look at the at the Maharal. Maharal, I'll tell you who the Maharal is you all know. So the Maharal says this in a in a work called Chidushi Agadot, where he goes through many Masechot and explains agadic portions of the of the Torah. So you see those words Lo Uh... <coughs> one second you see it's on line the 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 line 7 you know it's to prove that he was right when people accused him of being simply uh uh, giving in to his idolatrous tendencies. So look at the Maharal. The Maharal says, Eina perush shayaro pseli kach mehem nekama shel avi imotz." This doesn't mean that he wanted to. He wanted to take the kama to be, uh, uh, the nekama. Shel avimot nishkach kach shenitavu. Yeah. But this is what the morale thinks. That pilchas was the right person to attack midyan. Right? After all this is like a, a very typical kind of Ramban analysis he says Midian was the apo- opposite of Pinchas Vizekhi ayu be'erba in other uh, words when, when Bilam said when Bilam said let's do this we'll send the girls we'll send the girls to uh, seduce the men of Israel and get them to do idolatry it it, it wasn't just an idea he knew that it was an idea that everybody would be happy with because the women of Midian were those kinds of women they were interested they would do that they would allow their daughters to go off and become prostitutes there was no one, no nation in the world that was more uh, involved in this particular transgression than they were. The Yosef already knows Yosef HaTzadik, right? Is that what he's called? According call to the song, Yosef HaTzadik. Uh, As means that that he was not able. That would you be tzaddik. What is a tzaddik? He was not able to do an avera. So when the wife of Potiphar tried to seduce him, she was unsuccessful because his nature was such that he was a tzaddik. He wasn't even imposed his tzitzis on his nature, but he was that way. That's what that's what he was so he says Yosef is a Kadosh with a means there is no way of connecting Yosef to Zlut. to Moshe so obviously it makes sense to say that Pinchas like, like he was not able to put up with the idea of znut in an Am Yisrael, because he was a descendant of Yosef. O oh, lechachamar, sorry, Yosef so u'midyanim mitnagdim ze ze moshlim ze al ze. As Yosef u'midyanim mitnagdim ze ze moshlim ze al ze. that since Yosef and the midyanim. Uh, were, were genetically un, unadaptable they couldn't become uh, they couldn't adapt to each other therefore the only relationship that they could have is a relationship which he calls I'll say, one is always going to be the authority and the other one is going to be the enslaved one <laughs> And that's why the Gemara says that it was done for no reason that, that Pinchas went to war against the Midyanim. But he was really the most likely person to go to war against, against the uh, uh, Midyanim. midyan ba'alei erva what there is we don't know but what is the point that the that the Maral is making the point the morale is making is that this was not a war between group A and group B and that the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu sent Pinchas it's not an idle fact. Like he sent an army, so who cares if Pinchas went with him or not? Pinchas was a soldier. This says, no. He says, Pinchas was, after all, the son of Yitro and the son of Yosef, in some way or other. And so the moral explains what it means to be the son of Yosef. That since Yosef was a tzaddik, he couldn't put up, he couldn't bear Uh, uh, this Avera that's called the Gilui Arayot and therefore whenever he came he he confronted it he had to fight against it and therefore the relationship between Yosef and the Midyanim at this time since the Midyanim represented Gilui Arayot the relationship between Yosef and the Midyanim was, was, was a difficult one very difficult the only way they could have a relationship is if one was up and the other was down and therefore the Midyanim bought Yosef and then sold Yosef. That was a, But eventually, eventually, when he was confronted by the the possibility of Arayof with the, with the, the wife of Potiphar, he he withstood it. He he, he didn't say he didn't say yet, Pikuf Nefesh uh, or what's going to happen to me. He didn't care. He was just not able. Was not able to do that Avirah. So finally, we look at the side, the second sheet, uh, the the uh, Met. The Zerot Emech says this, Gadol ha-machtio min ha You see, after the introduction, the Pesach, Gadol ha-machtio min ha Machtio means the one who causes you to sin. Min ha the one who kills you. They will show, Ki ha-reshayim al-lamo ba b'nei Yisrael v'chokhmah. These Midyanim, they come on against Bnei Yisrael with kind of cleverness. That the that the leadership grew up in Midian Perusho, the chemo she yesh b'dreikot b'kedusha, a bechlaw Yisrael bechad. It's just that so we know that kedusha is not a uh, like like one stage, but within kedusha there are many stages. Whether we're talking about the individual or we're talking about the uh, about the, the community, kein in tzav sitra akra. Sitra akra is a, like a word that means uh, yecher hara, like bad, whatever is bad. La vidu over kein sitra akra la vidu over yecher hara kol katimim halukim liotim tzav ha itnag dut the whole crowd of crowd therefore it's very difficult to, to defend yourself from every level of wrath of that, that exists in the world Khenim, Sabe, Midian. therefore Medyan represents it dot. Uh, Moshe Allah so obviously they're going to be against Moshe Rabbeinu whose wisdom, like good wisdom be Bat Nasi Medyan that's what it says. She's achotam, remez ala chokma. Kemoshe Emo emor lachokma achoti The positive in Mishlei, achi chokma laharat. She kozbi is the negative kind of chokma. B'zel kozbi, kozbi is kazav. It's a lie. Yud is chokmah lying chokma. The chokma b'sheker. O ha chokma lemala they has got tale to all is there true tale for live with the bake to which it wrote a at be both a and That's why Pimchas is sometimes written with a yud pay yud nun What is the what did the Svatabet? How did the Svatabeth help help us out? He said that he said that it's it's uh, not just a battle about a specific Aveira, but it's a battle about how you look at things. And you can look at things wickedly and you can look at things uh, uh, less wickedly so unlike the Maharal who it focuses his attention on a particular on a particular mitzvah uh, the, the Svatamet says that the that itself could be mismanaged and misused and chokha could be something to turn into something terrible chokmatara there is such a thing just like there is positive there is also negative and the midyanim, the midyanim represent that negative and that's why the pasuk says saror et a yudin et a, a midianim because you have to keep fighting them all the time it's always going to be that's what saror means it's a it's a it's uh, a uh, a present uh, what do they call that a continuing present right it's like uh, that's what it's called I think. So. what yeah no, I, uh, there's such a thing right? it means it means it's always there it's always a problem it's it's like zachor and shamor always remember always keep Shabbos Sararat, I mean, you know, always because that fight is always there so we see that that, that uh, according to the uh, according to the Kimura and and according to the Mahara and according to the Svatamat we kind of had to change our opinion, opinion of Midyan, first we thought that Midyan was following divine regulation, so to speak, was acting in favor as God wanted them to act, and that was, that was apparently the the, the the fact, but we're left with this, with this real question, which is, how, why is it that the Torah stressed the fact that Avraham Avinu had a son, whose name was Minyan, if it turned out to be such a, a terrible thing, an embarrassment for, for, for Jewish history, in Jewish history, and an embarrassment for Abu Rabin. So you know that in Hasidut, in Hasidut uh, not only in Hasidut, but in Hasidut they say that uh, it's possible to fix things. Well, that's what they say in Hasidut. Uh, the, the word that's used is Tikkun. These are things that sometimes are broken. But you can fix them. Um, not with glue. But, the, but that's the image. The image is that there are khalim. And the khalim uh, should hold, should contain all uh, light from God. But for some reason, for some reason they were broken. And the light, the sparks of the light spread out all over now you may have heard about this one way or the other but it's a, it remains a, a, a kind of a ni- nice image I think that uh, trying to explain uh, after all the, the issue that the, the Kabbalists were dealing with was how is it that God created the world and it turned out to be such a mess uh, maybe not that language how did God create a world and the world would not be responsive to God. You know, there's that story about Red Nachman Bratzlav. He used to go when he got to Uman he lived in Uman for a short time. Uh, only but when he was there he used to go and play chess with the doctor, the Jewish doctor in Uman. And uh, you know, in those days in those days you get to know two things about Jewish doctors in Poland or Ukraine that They were usually doctors in small places, small villages, uh, you know, where there was a Jewish population to service. And the second thing you have to know about them is that they were never true. You could not be a doctor and be true because going to medical school meant that you had to be Chal Shabbos. It wasn't, you know, in those days in Poland you couldn't get together a petition and go to the American Civil Liberties Union and say you don't want to take the test on Shabbos you couldn't do that you, you want to be a doctor you took the test on Shabbos so you know that the Chil Shabbos and Chil Mitzvah is, is like contagious you do that for a long time so Rabbi Nachman used to go every afternoon to play chess with the doctor in Uman and the Hasidim the Hasidim uh, were unhappy about this as it was You know, Rabbi Nachman was always a beleaguered Hasidut there were always people who didn't like him for reasons that I'm not perfectly clear, but it is understandable. it's understandable. I think it's understandable. Anyway, Abnakhman used to go play chess, and the Pallavatan would say, Rebbe, Rebbe, play chess with the Sapi Kuris. And says, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're embarrassing us. We can't, uh, we can't live like this. So would said, You know, I'm playing chess. Oh, I go there every day to talk to him. He said, I want to understand. I mean, of course, the doctor was not religious at all. He was an, uh, an apicarious and an atheist. He says, how is it possible for a person to believe that he doesn't have a father and mother? That was Rav Nachman's question. And you can take it any way you want, but it seems to me it seems to me that uh, that ultimately creation, that creation of a man slash woman Rav Nachman thought it was so obvious that there had to be a God who would to produce the creation, and to say that there is no God seemed to him to be totally unreasonable and unexplainable. So he had to talk to this doctor uh, to find out. So that the world, the world that we live in, is a world that doesn't easily represent uh, uh, the divinity. I mean, there's so much, uh, so many terrible things that happen in the world. Uh, to individuals to communities to nations to uh, uh, I mean it, it, you don't have to have to write up a litany of, of terrible things that have happened in history in the world but everybody knows everybody knows that's true so that's a problem a problem that that we have and, and, and we in Kabbalah there's a belief that there's a tikkun that's possible. That if you do the mitzvot, and you do what the Torah says, it somehow fixes whatever is wrong with the world as we see it, as we we live in it. And because we see the world as that that way, therefore we disconnect from God, from creation, from uh, because because it couldn't be. Why would God create such a miserable such a miserable world? Which is not to say that we're miserable in it all the time what it means is that it doesn't accommodate our understanding of of, uh, 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 a significant connection a significant connection to God in Jewish history or or world history you go through Shit, you say what is it about it's about rejecting God it's about over and over again God is rejected by more and more people and they don't want to live in that world in a world which demands of them some kind of a special uh, achievement. They want to live in a different world. They want to live in the world we have a good time. And you go to places, and you see things, and, well, that's that's what the uh, that's what the uh, people desire. So along the way, along the way, there was this question: If a given person, if a person's father is an idolater, and if he became a believer at the age of thirty or forty. 40 and became a believer at the age of 40 how does he get it out of his system huh what's the how did Abraham Avinu how did Avram Avinu become you know we say okay Abraham okay Yitzchak okay Yaakov what do you mean Abraham Abraham reminds you of Terech no he doesn't by the time he was Avram Avinu he had no connection to Terech at all nothing it's true that Herat is a biological father but somehow Avram Avinu extricated himself from the biology extricated himself from the, from the genetic uh, involvement in his father there was a tikkun there was a, a fixing of the world that took place at the time of Avram Avinu and it started over again everything started over again now what's the tikkun? sometimes the tikkun is ridding yourself getting rid of of those inclinations that you inherited from your father so when Abram Avinu briefly stated, when Abram Avinu married Keturah and he had a bunch of children with her, those children those children, unlike Yisrael who was somehow still the son of Abram Avinu and, uh, and Yisrael who naturally was the son of Abram Avinu, but the children that he had with Keturah were, were in order to rid himself of the, of the um, negative uh, the negative inclinations that he had inherited from his from his father and that father's father before him and so, so uh, that's why it says in the pasuk just to finish that, that uh, he gave all of his inheritance to Yidduchat and to all of these children that he had with Keturah He gave them presents and sent them away. He said, "You're not mine. You have nothing to do with me." So that if it is true, if it is true that Midyan was as uh, as the Sfata says, as the as the says, that Midyan was the uh, kind of embodiment of of Gilui Arayot, like that was what they lived for. That was what they thought about. Then having a son called Midyan was like. Avram Avinu, ridding himself of any of the connections that might have existed between himself and his father Terach, until he became he became Avram Avinu, which means that he had no uh, uh, no wasted baggage. He was entirely entirely God's, and that's why uh, the pasuk says and the Rambam quotes that Achodish Baruch said about Avram Avinu oh HaVi that our only emotional reaction is love of God. That's all there is in our Avinu. Well, have a good Shabbos.